Dieselgate, Wirecard, Heckler & Koch. Germany has one of the weakest whistleblower protection laws in the developed world. But not for long, thanks to campaigners like Veronica Nad. Veronica comes on the show to explain why the German government is slowing everything down, again, and what it's like trying to get the European Union to listen to you. Make it happen. We have a small correction on the story involving the date of Maltese journalist Daphne Caruana Galizia's death. Veronica says this didn't happen during the European Parliament's vote on the whistleblower protection law itself, as she says on the show, but on the European Parliament's vote on the initial report on the law, which happened a year earlier in 2017. You'll figure it out. another episode of Megan's MegaCon. I'm Megan. I'm here with Ex-Berliner Magazine and Conrad Werner. Hello. Hi, Conrad. And also, very excitingly, we have a guest today. We have Veronica Nad. Hi, Veronica. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. You are a freelance anthropologist, which sounds so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And you do a lot of work for Blueprint for Free Speech, which is an Australian based organization but do a lot of work here in Europe around whistleblowing and something called slaps which is probably not as fun as it sounds. No it's not. (laughs) And you've worked on this all over Europe. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. Well Blueprint does a lot of research mainly but we also consult governments on the proper introduction of well mainly whistleblower laws but also freedom of expression legislation some public campaigning whenever we get the chance why are you asking about the drink i've just i've just realized after i posed that question and then i could barely listen to your answer veronica i'm so sorry i was like there's no booze in my hand <laughs> i can't possibly talk about anything without alcohol so i've got us all the same mega kinds today it's one of my favorites but also i thought because we're talking about whistleblowing we're going to be talking about kind of corruption and wrongdoing on a sort of huge systemic scale and what says huge systemic scale of corruption oh my god <laughs> but the british empire so we all have a bombay sapphire and tonic with a picture of queen victoria on it i washed them which is why they've got a little bit of water on them but i hid them back in my bag so they were a surprise so it's not just weird liquid from my bag it's just water <laughs> from Conrad's. <laughs> oh i'm so excited cheers everyone cheers Anyway, I want to know, what is a slap, Veronica? <laughs> a slap is what you do when you cannot, when you're in, inver- in, in, in the legal environment where you're not technically allowed to, like, either kill or put your journalists or civil society people in jail, so you sue them. And slap is short for strategic lawsuit against public participation, so you just pile legal cases of defamation slander libel on people that you would like to shut up essentially it's like a gag law kind of like gagging journalists from reporting on certain things well it's more like you know distracting them with with lawsuits and legal costs and restricting their time yeah and often it works like this that you you file a lawsuit against them and then you know that goes on for uh, a few years in bad cases and then because these are often based on 
nothing or or yeah. you know, they they don't actually stand a chance in court and so just shortly before the verdict is actually delivered the the companies just drop the case yeah, I'm already so angry I can't even I've had like one sip of gin and you're even like talking sort of like vaguely hypothetically not even relating it to what's happening in Germany I am like <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that I, I but, but save your anger because we want you to get angry about something else today I just wanted to introduce the slap thing because it's just what Veronica's doing at the moment. But yeah. what Veronica generally does is a campaign on whistleblower law. Yeah. Which, you, if you think you got angry about slaps, then <laughs> just you wait. But surely in Germany, like, it's fine. We have great Arbeit laws. Workers are protected. <laughs> well, that's what they say. No! What? <laughs> Why are we here? Right, so it's been in the news recently because the EU imposed a directive two years ago saying that all EU member states have to have a whistleblower protection law. So if you see wrongdoing at work, crime, abuse, and sexual harassment, anything like that, you should be protected from the law, from, from your employer's retaliation, reprisal. You shouldn't be sacked, you shouldn't be demoted, you shouldn't be demoted sideways, you know, like moved to another department, something like that. There should be a law protecting you from that. This is the EU said that. And not only the EU said that, but the UN has said it, um, the OECD has said it. There's been a lot of, like, in principle, everyone agrees that the G20, that everyone agrees that this should be a thing. So... I can't believe it's not a thing already. Yeah, well... I mean, two years ago, EU. What? <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, I mean, it's been a thing in, in Anglo-Saxon countries, right? So you've had whistleblower okay. laws in the US and you've had the UK one is, I don't know, 30 years old now. Okay. So, in, yeah, this All right, era. but it's sort of just become this EU directive yeah. two years ago. Yeah. Okay, so... So, last December, the German Justice Ministry, led by the SPD Justice Minister Christina Lambrecht, she produced, or her department produced, a draft law which was leaked. And so it was in the news a little bit, a tiny bit of the news. And the, the CDU, who you remember are leading the government... <laughs> Angela Merkel CDU, who are the uh, major partner in the government coalition, said, no, we do not like this law. Why did they not like this law, Veronica? Because uh, they didn't like the law because of the one thing that actually made the directive, well, not necessarily better, but just actually useful. The draft proposed to expand the material scope of what you can report on because the European Union has a limited legal mandate to regulate on things, right? So the things that the member states agreed on dealing together with in, within the European treaties. Okay. But these don't, like this doesn't cover all issues that are usually otherwise covered in national law. For example, data protection comes under EU law, I believe. Exactly. But things like uh, sexual harassment comes under national law. Right. Yeah, or education or health or like many other. Well, health is kind of half-half, I think. Yeah. So essentially the CDU said, this is why it's so absurd. They said, well, we only want it to cover um, EU law because that's what the directive said. But obviously the EU meant it's supposed to cover all whistleblowers in any area, in any sphere of life. That would be the spirit of the directive. 
which but also because this was the initial idea of introducing the directive right yeah because we've before that you've kind of had highly fragmented protection throughout the different sectors and countries as well yeah because there's been whistleblower protection uh regulation for example in the finance sector which is very very easy to measure the impact of wrongdoing right because yeah. you can just you have you have actual money that gets lost Yes. And so the idea was to introduce like a comprehensive EU framework, also in the interest of protecting the internal market. But because of this limitation of of the EU legal mandate, they couldn't they couldn't regulate on everything that covers national legislation. Okay. But the EU also said with the introduction of the directive, okay, but if you transpose this, so if you translate it into national law, bear in mind that you should expand the material scope so that your whistleblowers don't actually have to decide again, am I going to be covered by this law or not by kind of making this assessment, is my problem covered by EU law or not? Yes. So the CDU are once again putting this sort of legal responsibility to prove shit is bad onto individual people, onto the wee man, whilst protecting the big lads, to put it into my parlance. Exactly. Well, this is what yeah. they've this is what they've wanted, right? Um, they've, I've also heard, actually, I'm not sure that's true, that the coalition contract between the two parties actually foresees that EU law can or should only be transposed you know, I don't know, like one on one or like yeah. as as is and not expanded in any way. Right. Which, you know, is another issue you can, if you want, get angry about. But I'm not sure this is like, I haven't looked at the. So so it's caused a ruckus in the what governing exactly coalition. The point of the CDU? <laughs> like, I just, I just, what is, uh, it's to protect the business, isn't it? Well, I keep yeah. forgetting this. <laughs> God damn it. Especially now, because of Corona, right? You gotta protect them. You yeah. do. Sure, By all means, kick suffering. people out of their house, but if Lufthansa needs to pay out, despite the fact that Lufthansa's business is setting the world alight and our young people will have no air to breathe, more money for them, get out of your house, you owe your landlord a thousand euros. My home, my landlord's 190. I'm gonna not pay it as a protest and see what happens. Did you have a question? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, um, the the people who are against this are not just the CDU, they're also the people that I spoke to when I wrote my article about is the, the BDA, the German Federation of Employers, and they represent all the business interests. And they said... They're literally uh, like the man. Yeah, here he is. I can show you a picture of the man. He that could is. not... Viewers, <laughs> we need to put a thing like, imagine the man... <laughs> This one looks more like the man than you could possibly imagine. What's his name? Roland Wolf. Of course it fucks. <laughs> he is the labor law expert, the BDA, the Federation of German Employers. And he explained to me that any kind of whistle... To him. Yeah, on the phone. Was he nice? Well, he, you know, it was business-like. <laughs> we kept it professional. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have a joke. Man. He wasn't unpleasant either. Well, that's about as best you can look <laughs> from the man, isn't it? We, we kept it for, I only talked to him for about 10 minutes anyway so I mean he is talking to a journalist right so yeah. he better be nice <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah so he said the thing is I understand that there has to be a, a whistle you know a whistleblower protection law because the EU said so so we have to do something I Not get, I get it. it's an ethical thing yeah he doesn't actually want it because the EU said we have to he, he said this draft law is completely wrong headed because it goes way too far 
and any kind of whistleblower protection law should only support reporting things internally and he said like you should you should there should be channels for reporting things internally and then we should support that and it is important and it is we should say in the businesses companies interests often to keep reports of wrongdoing internal because you know then they can fix it uh, without it causing like a, a big scandal which is what it normally yeah. happens well there's nothing wrong with that in the first place is there right i mean if you have a safe mechanism and you have a, you know your own units to investigate whatever is going on that that's fair enough and i like even on a personal level i'm i'm all for dealing with things internally if yeah. if, if if that's actually possible and if whistleblowers don't suffer any reprisals for that and there is actually this is the interesting uh, interesting thing whistleblowers do prefer taking their issues internally first right uh, of if course. they can yeah. because they you know they do work in those places they care for their own work environment mm -hmm. and and if they have the trust that the things are going to be dealt with then they they can do that yeah but and we ultimately all want and and hopefully things are maybe somehow in some workplaces moving in that direction where people can be more open to having conversations about things going wrong and it's not like this whole disaster and of course we would want to be able to have those in all of our workplaces and bring it up internally sure. first and have it resolved but the problem is that what if that doesn't work and if you have a whistleblower law to my mind that only allows for internal things then that's kind of it is completely pointless because what we need to deal with is the ones where it's not possible to do it internally that's when the outside things exactly. need to get and if every workplace worked in a lovely way and we all sat down and we're like oh okay well we can work on this great thanks so much bob for bringing that up that was lovely here let's all have mega cans on our fire oven and it's great it doesn't work like that which brings us to what is what is actually in this law well yeah one of the big features and also i mean you know in general i i would say this is already a big achievement of, of the introduction of the directive in general, is that companies have to establish internal channels. Mm -hmm. This, except for certain sectors, but there's never been an obligation to do that. And that means like a hotline, right? It means a hotline, it means like an online tool. The directive actually says you need to be able to go to a specific, Personally like a compliance gone. officer yes. who takes in your complaint. Yeah. Um, you should be able to make a report on the phone or via physical mail, I think, as well. So there's like different channels that should be open to whistleblowers, mm -hmm. not anonymously, unfortunately, because the EU left that open and Germany decided to. Well, you know, let's talk about the issue of anonymity. So Roland Wolf of the BDA, he is against anonymity, the man, because he said hit that the problem with anonymity is if you're anonymous you can report anything and no one can check if it's true or not well what, what does that mean nobody of no course. roland you're absolutely <laughs> even i a fool a common garden idiot who has wandered into this conversation with no background knowledge can tell that that is not actually true <laughs> well i think there are two two things about this for one of course you can make i mean if someone makes a claim right and you have a thorough investigatory mechanism within your organization you can just verify that you know exactly. you just you just take the information you look the at it anything they're claiming is like who they are and then they stay anonymous. <laughs> yeah but this is the thing like the, i think the problem with this whole anonymity debate is that you know people are too focused on the messenger instead of actually you know, looking at the message and, and seeing whether there's any substance to it or not. And of course, you know, if, if someone just makes a wrong claim, 
yeah, well, then, you know, that's not a great thing. It's but a truly terrifying thing for a man of his... He's the head of the group of employers, of, of German employers. No, he's not the head of it. He's the head of the Department of Labour Law in the BDA. Okay, so he's their top labour lawyer. He is saying that you cannot have legitimate claims of wrongdoing within an organization from an anonymous source. My guess is it's because then they would actually have to deal with it. Yeah. Right? Which is what this is all about. That's fucking terrifying. And what a lot of people don't know is there's like a huge emotional toll to taking this to taking this decision. They often get sacked and then it, it, you know then it affects their families and it's, it's a lot of psychological pressure especially in Germany because there's a kind of you 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 have to betray your co-workers because, in a way yeah yeah because and, of yeah yeah because there's a strong culture of loyalty towards the employer that's also enshrined within a legal framework right and so you're kind of whenever you speak up against your company especially publicly publicly you're sort of ostracized for betraying that loyalty so in this one, I, so I spoke to this uh, one whistleblower for this case. He was called Martin Porvol, and he was an accountant at a pharmacy mm-hmm. in like, this is like 2016. And he found out that, that his boss, this pharmacist, was diluting cancer treatment drugs. He, like, so you can, and, and he, was defra- he was not only endangering the lives of all these cancer patients by giving them weaker drugs than they were supposed to be taking, he was also defrauding the national insurers. He was just making them go further. Yeah, and selling and, and selling more of them, and then billing, and then he would bill the national oh. insurers, the 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 the, the, the castle, and he defrauded them of something like fifty million euros, and tens of thousands of patients were given weaker drugs because of this. And the rights and wrongs of the case all cleared up pretty quickly. You know, like he went to the guys in prison now for twelve years. But Martin Good. Martin Porvel, this accountant who found it out and reported it, and he spent a year collecting this evidence for the pro- prosecutors so he so he, he found out about it and then was like yeah. secretly collecting the evidence and passing it on to yeah. the public prosecutors and that was obviously a huge emotional burden because during that year he kind of knew that patients were getting weaker drugs oh and everything my God. Uh, but he had to like collect he had to stay in the job so he could collect this stuff and then it all came out that the the pharmacy was raided the guy was arrested but before he was arrested his boss sacked him he sacked martin porvo that meant that this guy had no income and because of the way german labor law is your, your, your boss is just allowed to do that regardless like if you want to you you, you can be sacked in germany but, and if you feel like you've been wrongfully sacked, you have to go to court. The burden of proof is on you to go to court. So he spent like years and years, basically, while this guy was in prison, you know, and he, he won all his cases, but it took years. And he had like, and for the first three months, he couldn't even get Algi Eins. But the other thing is that no one would employ him because other pharmacies saw him as someone who had betrayed their boss, you know, they would, regardless of the rights and wrongs of the issue, they would felt like... Oh, the, regardless we, of the rights and wrongs of the issue. They couldn't, they felt like he was, uh, he was like untrustworthy. So he found it difficult to get a job. So that's why we need a whistleblower protection law, is what I'm saying. You're fucking right. But it's Come interesting, on. you know, it's not always, I mean, there are a few cases, um, few, because you've mentioned Deltour before, right? The LuxLeaks whistleblower. What was LuxLeaks? LuxLeaks, there were agreements between the Luxembourg state and, you know, like all these big uh, international companies that are based there so that they would pay less tax in in Luxembourg 
for having their oh yeah like amazon amazon does amazon yeah i don't know but like yeah like lots of international and this guy exposed all this this guy worked for pwc and before he left he essentially took uh he took information on these deals i think passed them on to the authorities or something and then he was tried in luxembourg for theft of these documents which is another like issue yeah and um, during his trial in Luxembourg, they invited uh, his new employer, like he found a job in France afterwards. He's French, moved back to France, found a job, I think somewhere in the South, and they invited his, his uh, new employer to testify in court in terms of like what kind of employer, uh, employee Del Tour is and whether they weren't scared to employ him because of you know the way he had sort of cheated on his former company and his employer said no you know what I want is employees mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who are actually telling us about things that are going wrong within the company so we can deal with them yeah because otherwise they just stay where they are and rot in place and so that's actually I mean you know there's many employers who deal with this in the way that Martin Paul's employer did and you know prefer covering up and pretending nothing ever happened but I don't even (sighs) it's very very interesting and like most things that we talk about on here I had like a vague idea what was happening and like what was the blows and stuff but it's just like it's so it just beggars belief that this is up for debate I mean does it it not because you still have to deal with issues, right? Whistleblowing comes down to facing problems and instead of avoiding them. And I think as human beings, there is a tendency to, you know, gloss over things and do that. And because you always have to actually face the stuff that you're not doing well. I just mean the kind of the idea that we wouldn't want to have robust legislation around this, which of course we do, but that people would be kind of like arguing against that just seems mad to me. But I don't know why it surprises me because this is just late stage capitalism. This is how the world works. And I'm just like constantly shocked by it. No, but you have to, this is the thing, like you have to reform then. You have to look at what's going wrong in your organization and you have to find a solution and, you know. And the thing is, if we want to have that kind of culture, then, you know, it's all very well saying we want to keep things internal for now, but that's just pretending like we have this sort of system in which... Yeah, it's just... Well, I mean, the internal <sighs> thing is a bit... Um, it's ridiculous on many levels because, uh, you know, you can just go to the police with crimes that you witnessed, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. like, adding that additional layer um, d- doesn't really make sense in the in, in the context of, you know, the modern way we look at rule of law today. Yeah. And so this was... Like, it's so weird that, like, if I witness something illegal in the street on the way to work I can go into the police station and that's fine and it's all cool exactly and even to you know for extreme things there's like witness protection and stuff like that but somehow when it happens within the workplace it's but the good news here is that I mean yes this is, let's I mean whatever Wolf says this is not debatable anyway because the European Union and we've had when we did the campaign uh, in Brussels we've had long discussions about this with the, first the commission and then later the council convincing them that you know it doesn't make sense you, you need to kind of allow people to also go to the authorities immediately if this is how you think your case will be resolved or how your issue will be um, most effectively addressed and so whatever Germany does with this law it's actually going to be 
against EU regulation to to bypass this. So the EU have said, no, you have to have have it built in that people can go straight to thing or do they have to do internal? No, they don't have to do internal like internal and going to public uh, going to public authorities are on the same level. So you can choose, but there is an obligation. You have to try it internally and then you get to go. Okay. Both companies as well as public authorities have to introduce channels for people to report and there have to be also additional <laughs> external channels for for like as a sort of a whistleblowing institution and Germany was actually there's another thing that was nice in the in the draft law was that they suggested a dedicated external authority that takes in disclosures from whistleblowers who decide not to report internally mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. also a good thing because yeah. you kind of like have it all under one roof then there's, yes like that's like a German government agency. Yeah, well, it would have been uh, it would have been linked to I think the the Data Protection Authority. Oh, okay. Can you tell us a bit of because you campaigned about this in Brussels? This I is did. quite interesting yeah. for uh, for years, <laughs> didn't you? You went to Brussels every other month and talked to MEPs and different people, didn't I you? I did. That what was, was your fun. impression of getting the ME getting the EU to come round on this issue? Well, it was interesting because I think civil society in general did a really good job in turning around the commission on this because I remember, I don't think in 2016 when it wasn't only our campaign, there were like two or three separate campaigns that in the end ended up, you know, unifying their their efforts. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, 2015 and 16. Uh, when this whole thing debate, uh, the whole debate started, the European Commission would say, "No, we can't act on this. We do understand why this may be a problem, but, <laughs> but we don't have a legal basis." It's always because the thing. of their legal mandate within the EU, or just because. Uh, no, I think it's a little more complex okay. than that. But I'm not a lawyer, so this is where I'm also like I just heard. That's fine. But at the beginning, they were saying there's no legal basis for this, and and still, we hear I mean, you. There's nothing we can do for you. And and there still isn't. I mean, there there you know they had to find one, and and it was I think for for some lawyers involved in this process, it was actually fun to you know find different bits and pieces that they can yeah. just put together, and. So now the directive is based on different principles taken from the treaty. So there's not one legal basis or not one article that the whole thing is based on. But, but it's did, like with your interpretation of those various ones. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Plus, this is yeah, like, this is one of the things that I've learned in this campaign is that the European Union is such a makeshift alliance, right? <laughs> and these trade, these these treaties, they're so incredibly vague in many places and and you know there's obviously a lot of stuff that you can do with those if mm-hmm. you want to yeah. so it really came down to creating a public awareness for the yeah. issue and and also you know just really get on their nerves and say no you have to do this you have to do this you have to it doesn't make sense and so i think I don't know, sometimes, yeah, so in 2015-16, there was a very strong no, 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 no. And then in two years or one and a half years, the climate shifted entirely. And then the commission introduced a first draft early 2018. So fairly short time, yeah. actually. But um, And this is the yeah. time that you were going there every other... Well, yeah, 2018. And then, I mean, the parliament voted on the final draft in April 2019. So, but yeah, yeah. 18 and 19, early 19 were crunch time. 
That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you for doing that for us. That's, <laughs> no, seriously. But like, I know what you're saying like this. I'm kind of glad that that is your experience of like how the EU works. And if we get enough kind of thing, we're like, well, do you know what? Actually, we can make this happen if there's the public thing. And that's and it's, cool. And it's been a very, like for me personally, it's been a very inspiring experience because, yeah. you know, like, I mean, I've always considered myself a European anyway. So, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a big fan of the, I mean, there's lots of stuff that you can say about the EU that doesn't work, but it's interesting to see that, you know, with the right support, and good arguments you can yeah. actually really we could actually do. start getting it to work for yeah. us rather than fucking Lufthansa yeah <laughs> poor Lufthansa yeah, they yeah. really like my symbol but so, yeah that's awesome so where, so where I mean like for, for us it's like unimaginable going to sort of yeah, how um, does it work? Like, where do you who do you, do you write to an MEP and say oh are you interested in having a meeting or where do you, where do you... Well, well you do have a legal process right so okay. um, whenever like usually you're a civil society your friend is parliament Okay. And Parliament, I mean, yeah, it, it could have more power. But um, one thing that they can do, if, if, if someone sees a legal need, they can actually start preparing initial reports first in the committees and then suggest them to plenary and call upon the commission to become active on the matter. And this is what happened in case of the whistleblowing directive. Although, if I remember this correctly, the commission had already started to get interested in the, in the matter and done their own public... Uh, Okay. inquiry uh, on 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 the issue and like yeah. these things happen sometimes these happen parallel yeah um, but yeah so what we did was we contacted MEPs who were interested uh, we contacted other organizations dealing with the matter mm-hmm. and, and pushing for the same goal which was always a directive so this what helped I guess in this context was also that there was a very clear ask right there was we knew that this needs to be dealt with in the context of a directive mm-hmm. and so if you have this very concrete thing that you can ask of um, more or less well-established set of institutions and yeah. unify behind that ask then you know yeah. it's a good case to be made and you just keep asking over and over until you wear them down yes excellent work <laughs> thank you which parties were most interested in talking to you the, the greens and the socialists the so the I'm surprised no but it's always good to have affirmation (laughs) no and actually so it's a bit ironic so the whole I want to say like in parliament the whole thing was spearheaded by a very interesting French MEP from this I think in France she's from the left but in in the EU parliament she was uh, in the socialist uh, group and her name is Virginie Rosière and she I think without her Europe would not have this Directive, and the irony of it is that she did this in the four years that she was in parliament, and after that, she wasn't re-elected. Mm. So she's out now. But well, she like she took this on when she came in into office, and she ran it, and then she left. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did a really good job in the trilogue discussions in the end, which, as you may know, are not very transparent. So you need a very strong parliament position to go into those. I don't. I we finally. I was so excited because I finally worked out. <laughs> after previous lovely people, Sophia included, that came on the podcast and were just like drawing me diagrams of the three parts of the EU. But now you've lost me, but that's okay. What's the trilogue? What's that? The trilogue is- um, Is that like a dialogue, but we're three? Exactly. <gasps> it's, where <laughs> it's where the three institutions mm. of the European Union meet in the final stages of 
nego- like negotiations on any kind of draft. Okay, and that's not very transparent. It's not very transparent, no. And it's literally the people who've worked most on the issues in in those in the previous process. Yeah. That you know negotiate. Yeah. And make huge trade-offs uh, on some either side. But Virginie went in and like. Yeah, but she had a she was in a really good in a very very strong position because civil society had supported her for a long time and the yeah. parliament I have to say like the the draft that parliament had uh, agreed on I don't remember when that was exactly I think in late 2018 um was also very strong and gave a very good you know negotiation position oh because I, I don't know, this is also just speculation on my end. So when this, so there were these committees, no, there was one committee that um, prepared a position of parliament. They voted on it and then it went into the plenary. And then the vote was delayed for a week. And within that week, there was uh, this uh, Maltese journalist who got blown up. Oh, gosh. Yes. And in the end, when plenary, when the full plenary voted, the EPP, so the conservative bunch, abstained. Rather than voting. Rather than voting against it. And if they had voted against it, then, you know, the whole thing would have failed. And then they would have had to go back to the committee. Then you would have had a water drowned draft from parliament side. And then, you, you know, you would be in a weaker position yeah. within in, in the trilogue negotiations and um, i don't know again it's speculation but i felt like you know maybe this has something to because the you know the, there was such a strong call for stronger protection for journalists yeah whistleblower, for freedom of expression of like speaking truth to par yeah yeah okay so fascinating i could get into the mm-hmm. eu you know could do a little right. model one it's all yeah it's all right <laughs> Is, what's your impression of the EU as how it works? Do you think it's like mad and difficult and over bureaucratic, or do you think that it, it works quite well? Or what's your? Uh, <laughs> I want to say I want to say both. Okay. No, I mean I mean it is a huge body, right? It is definitely overly bureaucratic. But I uh, realistically, I don't know how you will you know like unify and balance interests of. 20, what, 7, 8? Shit, 27. 20. It's 27 27. Now. Oh, was it 28? It used it to was... be 28. But now it's only 27. <sighs> I can't believe. <laughs> Let's not go on. No, I can't, no. Not, not today. No, but I think, honestly, I think it's, I mean, there's a lot that's wrong with the European Union, but it's, it's still a great institution, I want to say. And it's a, it's a terrific democratic experience still that is that's positive that's good well democratic experience yeah if you take one thing from this podcast oh experience the eu is is a terrific terrific i wanted to say experiment i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) not experiment that does somewhat change what you're saying but that's yeah so just very quickly germany is drafting this up the Ministry for Justice have drafted a thing and the CDU's gone, absolutely not. What do you think is the next, like, what's, what's, what does the future hold for this? What's going to happen? Well, they will have to introduce a law. When's their deadline? It's December. 
right. this year because okay. you have two years of transposition period. And so December is the deadline, I think, I don't know, 17th, 19th, something like this. Um, oh, God, they're going to do it like about two weeks before Christmas when no one gives a shit. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> n- no, I mean, okay, no, so I'm, one I'm thing. I'm joking because that's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, for once, Germany it does have a history of delaying these kind of processes. So I, I don't know what the average is, but I think a year and a half delay in transposing directives that has happened so it's it's something and you know you just pay so fine like a year and a half that. after that thing yeah, you yeah, just yeah. get fine and because germany has more money than god they just pay it oh my days <laughs> well, this, but this is why it's really interesting this year because if the greens win this election that's coming in september and the cdu delays like it's a it's a it's a complicated situation now because we're going to have a different government, whatever happens after September. So we have to decide, is this government going to, going to choose the new, do this, the new law or the next government? This government isn't because they didn't find a solution, right? Oh. So they, they, so whatever they happens, SPD, SPD proposed something. So the Justice Ministry proposed the law. CDU said, we're not going to, we're, we don't want the material scope expanded. And probably also a couple of other things that they didn't want. And so the SPD just withdrew the bill and said, okay, so we'll let the next administration deal with it. Oh, really? They're because just like, well, if you don't want this, I'm taking my ball back and no one's playing. Well, it's, I mean, yeah. again, bear in mind that, because the problem is that if you transpose it as is, it doesn't make sense. You're just going to make life for whistleblowers. At, yeah, well, it's going to yeah. stay as difficult, if not even more difficult, because you have a law that's supposed to protect you, but you don't understand whether it's going to protect you. So what we're hoping for is our radical left-wing CDU, I get them out, like revolution on the 26th of September. So I'm going for. Yeah. And then it'll be like whistleblower's paradise. We'll all be getting whistles. It would be, I think for whistleblowers in Germany, it would be a good thing if the Greens had a stronger position in the next government, that's for sure. Yes. Um, the problem right now also is that, I mean, am I, or I've, I've heard this somewhere, so the, 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 the CDU, they're also not giving any space right now to SPD on this, right? Because oh, they're an absolute pack be- of dicks. I, I have no time. <laughs> like, I just, I just can't. I just, I cannot deal with them. Like, I'm so angry. I, I, you're just so mean. And all you care about is other people in suits. And I, I hate you all. Sorry, you were making a technical point about, like, facts. <laughs> <laughs> You come along with your emotions. God, but my emotions are fact-based. They just don't sound it. <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, if, if yeah, so if, if there was a, yeah, if there was a, at least halfway green government, uh, chances are high that the draft, well, we're, I'm not sure whether it's going to be improved. It depends. Like, in the end, this might have to be dealt with in the coalition contract immediately and this is actually not a good thing because it means that there's not going to be a public debate about it they're just going to you know deal with like worst case cdu and greens have to negotiate you know the the details that they yeah. haven't agreed on in the coalition contract negotiations uh, and we don't behind closed doors and there's not going to be a parliamentary debate on it which also sucks because this would actually in my view be a good thing to yeah. have an open public debate about how we want to deal with whistleblowers and transparency. That's always general. an interesting public debate to have because 
it's very much like a parliamentary debate, which is the people that are in power very much kind of debating our kind of rights to speak to them about their own sort of wrong. I, I just think that's a very interesting thing to have public debate about in right. a parliamentary thing because it, I don't know. <laughs> I can't really explain it. But you know what I mean? It's like, a, it's like an extension of the sort of, it's like another parallel to the whistleblower employee thing when we have public debates that's influencing parliamentary decision on something like whistleblowing. But the, why it's interesting is... Just out of out. I've had three quarters of my night. Um, anything that comes after 20 minutes does not get edited. I just wanted to tell you that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I... What? Uh, I, I just mm-hmm. can't be asked. No, no. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, if you if you're listening this far, then you're just you're in you're in it now. <laughs> you don't care. You know you're not Do gonna. You know what trying to explain again. No. <laughs> well, I I just wanted to make the point that it is an interesting thing that no one. The, the reason why I wanted to get Veronica on, and the reason why I wanted to talk about it in the first place, is because it's like we always have these big scandals in Germany, uh, like Wirecard. We talked about Wirecard and Heckler and Koch. And, uh, you know, Volkswagen, Dieselgate, all that stuff. And all that stuff, the one thing that that, that, that those things have in common is a whistleblower, Mm -hmm. an anonymous whistleblower who makes it public. Yeah. And and a lack of transparency. And a lack of transparency. So there's like a... Oh, and the horrors of late stage challenges. There's a lot of that. Okay. (laughs) So this is like one issue that unifies all those things, but it's never talked about in the press. That's what I want to say. Yeah. Because the press are... Yeah. Well, I think one of the, what I found interesting was that in a debate I watched a few weeks ago, there was this uh, CDU uh, MP, Haribert Hirte, who said very blatantly, well, you know, Germany is not a country with a, like, we're not a place with a strong transpar- transparency culture. And, and he just said it like, you know, a fact that, and it's, and as if he was like, and that's okay. It's Even amazing it's the stuff not. that like conservative sort of people will just say as if it's like I'm like have you have you have you been outside? Well, but, no, it's Corona time, so if they're old, they should not. <laughs> but there was what I thought was particular. There's, there's no there was no outcry about this, and there's no like no. So why? And also because I mean, if you look at you know the the political agenda of, of the European Union in in recent years. And bear in mind, Germany still being the major beneficiary of this union. Moneybags, Deutschland. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and uh, where so and where in the EU you have a, a increasing uh, recognition of the fact that you know transparency, proper rule of law, are good things. They are helping. <laughs> They are helping um, a democracy and they're helping the people within the democracy, right? Um, you know, you have conservative MPs in Germany saying, well, yeah, but it's actually, you know, never mind. So we're just not that strong on this. Fuck it. No. It's just that no. really, really highlights just how extraordinarily out of touch they are. And I think yeah. that's what sort of startles me every time I think mm. about the C- CDU. Or I'm just like, but... They're just so outdated. Like they're just. Well, are they? Because I mean, it's still. Well, I mean, okay, so we're in the Berlin bubble, right? I know. But the rest of the country. I mean, it, it, he is. He does have a point. It's not something that is, 
like transparency, openness, proper, you know, culture of dealing with mistakes. These are not things that 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 Germans are crazy about. And it's what what's it going to take, Deutschland? (laughs) 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 I say this with love. I love my adopted country, but fucking hell. Keep your problems inside. Anyway, right. <laughs> Don't ever confront your issues. Don't right. ever do it. <laughs> Don't Bottle up. ever do Bottle it. Up. Okay. I think that's enough for today. Well, yeah. Because, and I say this with not... Oh, oh my God, it's just started fucking pouring with rain. I was just about to say, we might all be able to go now to the pub and sit outside, which is very exciting. And as the words left my mouth, the fucking heavens have opened. Dear God, what is the point of existence? And with that, with that well, question... No, I think we really need to thank Veronica for her time. Thanks, Veronica. That was genuinely fascinating like i'm horrified but enlightened i'm sorry about that but thank it's you not for your fault me. it's not your fault <laughs> whose fault is it all together now conservative politicians it's all their fault and capitalism but thank you really very 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 much and i hope everybody gets to enjoy some Aussen gastronomy this weekend yeah i'm excited yeah, right yeah even if it's in the rain no Okay. No. I cannot. I can't. No, oh, no, no, no. Okay. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Stay safe. Schnell test. Aus awesome and gastronomy.